This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Asia Torah's Practical Spirituality class here in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount, otherwise known for tourists in birthright, the Kotel. Amen. Um, it's been a long hiatus. I've been out of the country for about 12 days, or for this class, 14. So I'm really excited to be back. I'm here for this whole week, and then uh, and then I'm out for a while. I apologize. Um, I'm just I'm just busy. That's all. But I love everybody here, and I'm really excited to teach this week. Uh, let's get going. So what we're co- what we're talking about today is expediting finding your soulmate. Now, how do you do this? You see, we have no idea who we're supposed to marry. In the old days, people used to marry us off. Jews and Gentiles all over the world were married off by their parents at very young ages. And so, like, for example, if you lived in Iran today, um, there wouldn't be a single person in this room. Meaning single, unmarried. (laughs) Everyone would be married in this room. At this point, uh, any lady over 14 would already be a mother. Okay? So... It's just the way things were. And the Jewish world was not much different than the Gentile world, that parents married off their kids. Because kids don't have a clue how to get married. That's why people are always coming up to me, give me a blessing to help me get married. And I'm like, you need a lot more than a blessing, sister. You know? <laughs> Blessings, like, you know, it's a drop in a bucket for what you need. You know? So, You'll understand what I'm talking about as you see the six steps. There are actually six steps how to get this done. So what happened is parents stopped marrying off their children. And immediately the age jumped. Let's say the average age when parents married off their kids was, let's say, 16 for girls, 18 for boys. Let's say it was historically maybe a little younger. But let's just say it got to the point in modernity. Uh, you know, in the last 200 years, it got to 16 about average for girls, 18 about average for boys. And, and then the parents somehow got off the hook. It was around my grandparents' generation. So we're talking about, I don't know, maybe 70 years ago, they somehow got off the hook of marrying off their kids. Well, who does that put the uh, responsibility on? The kids. But how are you supposed to marry yourself off? How are you supposed to do that? It's a major commitment, as I quote Cheech Marin of Tommy Chong and Cheech Marin. Responsibility is a heavy responsibility, man. And... There's no bigger responsibility in your life besides your relationship with God of choosing who you're going to marry. And deciding on your responsibility of your relationship with God is like, it's nothing compared to it. Because even though it's more important, because it's deciding what you're doing day to day, you know, that's very important regarding your relationship with God. It's super important. That's more important because that's what you're actually doing with your life. But you can always go, you know, I know a lot of people are pretty wishy-washy with that one. Marriage, you can't be wishy-washy. Wishy-washy marriage, you know, it doesn't go so well. So all you pot-smoking men, I suggest you lay off it. Because yeah, it makes you very wishy-washy in your relationships. And so marriage is not wishy-washy. So save it for special occasions when she joins you. Now, about the rest of us, is the, is, so now that we're stuck doing it alone... So the age jumped up, like, a lot. Meaning the first generation jumped up to mid-20s, then it went to, you know, 28, 29, then it was like 30, and I don't even know what the age is now when, when the average Westerner gets married. But when you're getting married by yourself, when, you got, when you're dealing with it on your own, it's likely that you will blow it for a period of time, meaning you just won't be able to get it together. And it will, you could likely wind up in your 30s, still single. Now, no offense to anyone 30 and still single, but it gets really hard to marry at that point. It gets much, much harder, exponentially harder, once you hit your 30s. So the ideal is to be married before you're in your 30s because it just gets so much harder. People want to know where you've been. (laughs) And it's usually not going to sound so good, no matter where you've been. And even if you tell them you had some amazing relationship, I wasn't a a, uh, creep, you know. (laughs) Well, they don't want to know your heart's in some other lady's hands, you know, because the longer term you're in a relationship, the more your heart's been bitten off, you know, so she's got this like, so she's going to marry a husband who had a shark attack, 
You know, you know the, some shark bit off half his heart, and she winds up with the other half. You want half the heart of your husband? Is that what you want? <laughs> half a heart? No one wants that. On the other hand, you could say, oh, no, I never gave my heart to anybody. <laughs> like, that sounds even worse. That means, you know, you were, you know, flopping around the bar scene or something, and so and nobody wants that either. So for these reasons, you, you really want to get married as young as possible. Once you're in your 20s, you want to make that happen quick because it's just nothing's going to look good otherwise. Nothing's going to look good. And, of course, you can always plea, plead virginity. You know, but that looks even worse because what kind of normal person's a virgin in their 30s? So now you're, so now you're just weird. <laughs> Who wants to marry a weird person, right? Anyway, but all of this is on paper. Obviously, God's in charge of all this stuff and he's, he's going to make sure everyone marries their true soulmate. But let's suffice to say, at least on our side of things, we've got to work this out earlier than later. You want to get it done early, not later. And make sure your heart is as whole as possible. Okay, here we go. So there are six steps to finding your soulmate. And the way it works is you want to get all six steps because they're almost like six, it's like a six-faceted cup, like a six-faceted vessel that, that's got, you know, it's a, what do you call it, a sextagonal? Is that right? Hexagonal. Six. Hexagonal. Uh, it's hecta- hexagonal? Hexagonal, yes. He- hexagon has six sides. Hexagon. So the cup is hexagonal. Is there a T there? <laughs> Don't know. Hexagonal? H-E-X. It's a hexagonal cup. And if you're missing one of those... <laughs> if you're missing one of those five, one of those six, it, the, it leaks out. And then you can't get married. So you really need all six to get it together. Okay, it's true. God has mercy and sometimes just slaps two people together. I meet some funny couples. You know, they, they had none of, the, none, of the, none of the walls of the cup. And somehow they're married. So, you know, we're not talking about marriage going well necessarily. We're just talking about finding that person. And so having those six sides expedites it majorly. Whereas uh, missing one of those sides is going to slow things down quite a bit. And, uh, and obviously, as I said before, sometimes God just says, you know, you know, Manny and Myrtle. And Manny and Myrtle get married, and they didn't have any of these things that I'm about to say. Here we go. So it's easy to remember this class because it's got the acronym HAPPY. Now you may be saying, well, HAPPY only has five letters. In this case, it has six. Okay, happy because this class has six facets to the vessel, so it's happy with an E. Okay, now, I'm glad you all have a sense of humor today, because if you were not giggling right now, I would walk out. Okay, so the first is Hashem. Oh, we're gonna stick with red. This one's not so good. Oh, let's check out green. Be kind of a Christmas thing. Happy Christmas. <laughs> So, oh, did I just write happy? Sorry. <laughs> I'm a little jet lagged. My best classes are when I'm hungover, only followed by like me being sleep deprived because then I, I have no filters at all and I say crazy stuff and have to warn everyone not to push this video forward. And then the uh, and then of course jet lag is like third, third place for me being unfiltered. Ken Spiro said this was going to be a fun duo, have it come first in the second. Yeah. <laughs> he calls me his alter ego. Uh-huh. Would you like us to get you a drink, maybe? Uh, I'd take a scotch if you had one. <laughs> I like mind-altering substances. You know why? I don't know why. Because it helps you laugh at yourself. You are the biggest joke you've ever heard. And laughing at yourself is healthy. You laugh at yourself. And something about altering the mind with a beer or something is causes you to look at yourself and just start cracking up. And recently I had, a, my students were so excited to find a secular Jew at the Kotel Friday night and brought him up to me to bring him close to God in Torah. So they all brought him up, about 10 students, like, usher this guy up. They, all, they had him by his forearms, you know. <laughs> and I look at this guy and I'm like, you brought me a Gentile. And they're like, what? I'm like, this guy's a Gentile. 
And my students are like, no. And I'm like, yeah, he's a Mormon. And the guy looks at me and says, how did you know I was Mormon? And I said, I can see a Mormon when I... I know a Mormon when I see one. And he's like, how'd you know? I said, you've never had a drop of alcohol in your life. He says, yeah, that's good, no? I said, no, I don't trust people who don't drink alcohol. And he's like, well, why not? I said, because they don't know how to laugh at themselves. He says, I know how to laugh at myself. And then I was like, just, just go pray in that minion over there. And my brother was leading the minion, and we gave him an art scroll prayer book, and he, he joined. What's up, guys? Hey. I can't believe I'm seeing you. And you're healthy. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry, I wouldn't come visit you, but I flew out of the country. Yeah, I know you are. It's you're really hard to visit people yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We could escape. You're all good now? I'm good, yeah. yeah you look great. You look Thank very you. happy. Thank um, you. There's a seat right here, sir. Can you slide over one? Okay. Yeah, just jump into this scene. All right, here we go. So we're talking about the six ways of expediting finding your soulmate. And the first way is Hashem. Why is it Hashem? Because God's outside of space and time, and he knows the future. Well, that means God knows who you're supposed to marry. And we don't know, but you do. So, but God does know. And since God knows, you want to bribe him. Like imagine, like, imagine this guy knew who you were supposed to marry, but really knew. And you come up to him, you're like, no, give me the goods, give me the goods, who am I supposed to marry? You'd do anything to get the info. Meaning he really knows. He really knows. And you know he knows. You'd bribe him, right? So how do you bribe God? The way you bribe God is by turning your heart just to God and serving just God and totally forgetting about the soulmate aspect. Meaning, God, I'm with you. And yes, I got to get married and it's really important and everything, but I'm with you 100%. And, and since you know who I'm supposed to marry, I'm going to just stick with you. Now, that doesn't mean... Oh, just one more thing, just to make this really clear. You could be like doing everything you can to get married and your soulmate that God knows who it is could be on another continent or your soulmate could be sitting right across from you at a Shabbos table, but your minds aren't geographically located meaning you're not you're not you're not ready yet meaning she's holding in one place he's holding in another and you can sit across from each other at a Shabbos table and totally miss it so you really need God in this because you're getting yourself all dolled up for for you know going out for Shabbat or whatever and meanwhile your soulmate could be on a different continent or could be on the same continent but but in a different continental emotional and spiritual location even though they're sitting right across from you so we really need God on this is that clear we really need God to help us with this one and so we so in a principle you say it's like this you worry about your relation with God let God worry about your soulmate got that you worry about your relation with God let God worry about your soulmate and uh and so I still suggest you shower and use deodorant and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not saying, you, you know, stop brushing your teeth. You should definitely brush your teeth and you should definitely, you know, look somewhat normal. But, but don't worry about all that. Let God handle this. God's really, really good at, at figuring this out. So the first facet is you worry about God and let God worry about your soulmate. So it's really off your hands. You don't have to do so much about this. You can just chill. Okay, the next is alive, and that is that your soulmate is probably alive. I mean, I imagine, uh, are you married? No. How old are you? 26. I imagine you're not going to marry a girl 26 years younger than you, right? Probably not. So, so she's alive. Now, I've got a question for you. When's the last time you prayed for her? Since she's out there. Maybe she just lost her job. Maybe she's got a cold. Maybe she just stubbed her toe. Maybe her friend's not being nice to her. Maybe she just got blocked from, you know, some other person on Facebook or whatever. You know. Did you, have you ever prayed for her? Not to meet her. Prayed for her. Yes or no? Never has. Never has. Raise your hand if you've ever prayed for your soulmate, meaning how they're doing right now. Like that they should be okay. Very good. So that's part of a live. So that, that's a live. Another thing with a live, so we'll put two things. One is you can already develop the relationship through prayer 
Um, I suggest writing your soulmate a note every Friday before Shabbat. And then when you get married, you'll hand that person all the notes. You'll say, these are all for you. Because I've been, I've been developing this relationship. And you know what happens when you develop the relationship? You start to get a sense of the person that you'd really... Who, the receiver of your heart. Because you're putting your heart out on these notes. And you want someone... I mean, it's pretty painful to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't really receive your heart. And if you, if you have already been giving your heart on these beautiful notes you write, so then it's the likelihood of, of sensing the person who's going to receive your heart when they're next to you is higher. You're more likely to sense that's the person. Because that's, you, you want to have a recipient of your love. It's hard having a recipient who doesn't receive the love the way you love. And so it'll help with uh, notes. Another thing you can do is also... Another thing you can do is also uh, integrity. Integrity is, uh, is that a lot of us have this pre-marriage behavior and post-marriage behavior. Like, I'll never wear that when I get married. And I'll never do that when I get married. And I'll never go there when I get married. And I'm not going to smoke that much pot when I get married. And I'm not going to this when I get married. And it's like, first of all, I'm not going to swear, but bull, okay? <laughs> you are. And you're going to do it even more because now you got what to escape from. And the, and so, <laughs> so stop having life A and life B. Don't, don't do the life A, life B thing. Start living your life with integrity, the integrity of married people. You think my Hasidic daughters, you know, when, they, when, when my daughter got married, do you think her lifestyle changed from before and after? My Hasidic daughter. You think she had a lifestyle shift before and after? Not at all. It was one lifestyle. So she lived the lifestyle of a married woman before she got married. Now, for those of us who think we're going to live one lifestyle and then get married and live another lifestyle, you're not creating much of a vessel for marriage. Remember, we're talking about vessel building. So you get that? It's a vessel for marriage is being the kind of guy or the kind of girl who, who is married, even though you're not married yet. You want to live that way. Okay? So vessel one was relationship with God. Vessel two is that that person's alive. Develop that relationship through prayer, through notes, things like that. And you can already start buying them stuff. You know, I had a guy at age who was... He was kind of hard to marry off, this guy. He was, he was, he was kind of the rough-and-tumble type. And uh, we, you know what he did? He started bringing in appliances into the dorm rooms of the yeshiva. There was no room for his appliances, but his dryer, his washing machine, his, uh, like, an oven. And so we were like, what in the world are you doing? None of them are hooked up to anything, you know. And he's like, well, I'm getting married. And we're like, oh, Mazel tov, why didn't you tell us? He said, well, I haven't quite worked that part out of who I'm marrying, but I figured if I start buying the appliances now, so God's going to see how uncomfortable it is in my little cubicle. And so, you know, he's just going to have mercy on me, and I'll be able to put these washer and dryer to use. Is that cloud cover? No. Uh, can you hit the top... Switching the lights there, please. Also, you, can we turn off the AC for a minute? Yeah, that, hit that. Yeah, it might have been a blackout. Oh, great! And then the, the off the power button. It's making me crazy that noise. Listen to this. This. It's kind of like a mother-in-law living in your house. You know? So, all right. <laughs> you don't notice for the most part unless she's gone. So, okay, now, <laughs> I told you jet lag's where it's at. So, the next is, uh, the, the next is private. Private. You will notice that in Jewish marriage, we're very, very private. Men and women, rabbis, rebbitsons, we'll talk about everything under the sun. You've noticed, I'm sure, in this class, in the Essentials, there is no taboo. I mean, we'll talk about literally any subject. And, but one thing you will never hear, I don't care how close you get to a rabbi or a rebbitson, you will never hear the details 
of their intimacy. That's just not on the menu. You're not going to hear that stuff because there's tremendous privacy. And so you want to develop yourself. One of the sides of your vessels is to develop privacy. No one knows your life like that. People know you how they know you. But when it comes to relationship, it's extremely private stuff. And, you know, there are people who like to brag about things and they'll talk with their friends about things. I'm talking even your best friends. You don't discuss anymore. People of the opposite gender, especially if you're connected to one of them. If you're connected to someone of the opposite gender, you just keep it to yourself, 100% private. And uh, now, a best friend, a mentor who might be helping you in your, in your relationship, that's fine. You can tell them. And one of the big mistakes people make is they show up publicly with someone who they're not yet engaged to. But they're like an item now. You know, they become an item. And that is the worst thing you can ever do. First of all, it does one thing. Is it, it uh, what's the word for puzzle? Um, how do you say puzzle in English? Uh, nullifies you. It, it like nullifies you from the whole market of people of the opposite gender. Because they, they, when a woman see, or a man sees you with someone already, so they already start looking elsewhere. And so you don't want to be showing up with this person anywhere. Now, there are people who do want you to show up with them because they want to let the world know, hands off, get your eyes off them, or whatever, and they want you showing up places with them. But it's not a good idea for either side, even the one who wants to show up, because, like I said before, get your eyes off them. You want eyes off the two of you. You don't want eyes on you. They, marrying a soulmate, anything holy like that, this is holy stuff. Soulmates are holy, holy. It's the holy of the holies. And when you're, when you're doing holy stuff, you don't want a lot of people seeing it. You don't want people knowing about it. You don't want it public at all. You want holy stuff to be private. And because a lot of eyes on it can rip it to shreds. Okay? And that's, that's one thing. So, yeah, don't show up at Shabbos tables with someone until you're engaged. Keep it on the DL. I suggest actually dating in a place where no one will even see you together, not even by accident. Meaning, uh, you know, kind of meeting in places that, you know, you don't want to go too private because you have issues there of, of intimacy potentials and when no one's going to see you. But, uh, but semi-public, but in a place where no one, either of you know, is going to see you. And until you're engaged, keep her away from Shabbos tables. Your own parents' Shabbos table, okay, if your parents keep Shabbos and you want to go to their table and they want to go, you know, just to get to know the families. No big deal, but they shouldn't invite a bunch of guests that week. It should be just the family with that person and see how, see how people intermingle, see how the, you get along there. But uh, otherwise, you keep it super private. Is that clear? And I just want to mention one thing is that once you get engaged, then you go super public. So super private till engagement, super public after. It's, uh, it's considered uh, negative to get engaged secretly. And there are people who say, oh, well, we want to inform the grandparents in person or whatever. Or I want to inform my parents in person. No, you just you tough luck on your parents. You go public immediately. And uh, the next thing is, um, once you get engaged, just uh, just another detail you should know is, if you ever get engaged, <laughs> when you get engaged, sorry, um, you want to you want to go super private. Uh, did I say super private? When you get engaged, you want to um, stay away from each other. Stay away from each other until the marriage. Meaning see each other minimally. It should be no more than a phone call on Fridays to say good Shabbos. You want to stay away from each other. Now, for the man, that's no big deal. But for the woman, that's really painful to stay away from each other. During that time, it's hard for the women. The women want it. And she's finally engaged. She wants to see her man. But the, and the man isn't against it. But he's not quite as torn up by separation. The woman really wants to see her man. Um, you know what? It's too warm. Uh, can I ask you to turn it back on? But maybe uh, put the fan on low. Can you turn the AC back on? Uh, it could be the fan. Our fan's been slowly kind of losing it. Is the fan already on low? You see on the right there's a fan. Was it already on low? It was on high? Oh, good. So it just keep it on low. We'll be good. Thank you. Thank you, nice lady. You're hired. So, so the... Yeah, so you want to stay away from each other. So I, I'll just scare all the women, just so you know why you should stay away from your fiancé. So the issue is like this. See, when it comes to finding your soulmate, 
the woman's <clears throat> got strong intuition, so she kind of knows, kind of knows. She came up, almost n- totally knows. She knows. Whereas the man, if he shouldn't know, he should be scared. Because that means he realizes, oh my gosh, this is it. Meaning this is the woman I'm going to be, you know, working for the rest of my life. And, and it's like a heavy responsibility for, on the man. So the, ma- the woman should be strong intuition that this is it, and the man should be scared. And women, you should be very scared. If your intuition says, I'm not, I don't think so, or I'm not sure, but he's very sure, run for your life. Yeah, you got a control freak looking for some trophy wife to show up to events with. And so stay away from that guy. Okay? Or, or maybe your parents have money or something. I don't know what's up there. But stay away from a guy who's sure. A guy who's sure is dangerous. You want a guy who's scared. Because with the other girls, he was excited. With you, he's scared. That means it's real. It's hitting that spot where like, oh my gosh, I am going to be taking care of this woman for the rest of her, her life. I'm strumming the guitar right now. And those, those are the strings that are getting played in his heart. And he knows it. Meaning he knows it. He doesn't know you're it. He just knows this is scary. Because this is it. And so you want him scared and you want you knowing. The females should be knowing. The guy should be scared. Now just to scare women away from wanting to see him before the marriage is that when he goes to bed after the engagement party, after, you know, everyone's drinking L'chaim, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, Simen Tov, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, Simen Tov, Simen Tov, and they're dancing around and everything. And then what happens is when that man goes to bed that night, he's like this, looking up at his ceiling, and he's staring at the ceiling and saying to himself the following words, you just made the biggest mistake of your entire Life. I kid you not. And those words get louder and louder and louder and louder and louder all the way until the marriage, till the wedding, till the actual wedding. <coughs> After the wedding, it gets quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter over the next 50 years. <laughs> Just stay away from the guy. Just steer clear of him. Because all the stuff you see, when he was saying, maybe she's the one, maybe she's the one, maybe she's the one. So every little thing you did was magic. It was the cutest thing he ever saw. Everything. The way you smile like that, and the way you laugh, and the way you do your hair, and the way you wear your clothes, and everything was the cutest thing he ever saw in his life. But once there's a voice filtering you out with the words, I just made the greatest mistake of my life, if that's the lens he's wearing, so the way you smile, the way you laugh, the clothes you wear, the things you think are funny, <clears throat> everything's just getting on his nerves and a further proof that he blew it. So just stay away from him. Just stay away from him. Wait till he's stuck with you with a ring on your finger. Yeah. Wait till he's got to hold you for the rest of your life. And then you'll, he'll warm up to you for a while. Yeah, it's horrible. Men are horrible. It's hor- it's hor- it, it doesn't sound horrible. It is horrible. What do you mean it sounds horrible? It is horrible. And it's not easy to be men. Men have it rough. Just look at Genesis, you know. Tough, tough stuff going on over there. Us men? I do have a question, though. Yes. Why is it that this is a better system than one based on honesty between? Like he should tell her he's scared to death? Yeah, and she should say, no, this is actually a good thing. And they should, they should be able to have that kind of conversation. I don't think there's too many women who would be interested in that level of honesty. I mean, any woman in here want to raise her hand and say that she'd be really happy to hear from her husband that he feels he just made the biggest mistake of his life? <laughs> you want to hear that? From your man? You know, no one wants to hear that, man. She'll go home to her mom crying. And she'll be like, what am I supposed to do? Like, so did I. So did I? That would be a woman with no intuition. Unless she was lying. But he's saying honest. men are supposed to be more into the girls than the girls are into the guys. So. That's only because he wants something. But <laughs> the, we're talking about marriage here. Okay? Marriage. 
This is how every woman knows that her the guy who's after her that she keeps thinking like, oh my gosh, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. This is how you know he does not love you. He does not love you. Why? Because if you actually give him what he wants, you will be in a categorically worse position. Now, people who love you put you in categorically better position, not worse. But if he actually gets what he wants, you're now in a categorically worse position if he gets what he's desiring. So now you know he doesn't love you automatically. So now you get to just write him off and just say, that guy I thought was it ain't it. Because if he got what he wanted, I would be worse off. And what kind of love is that? What kind of love puts a woman worse off? So that ain't love. It ain't love. It's called lust. And, and you want to stay far away from a guy like that. And the, uh, but you know what it shows us, though, and it's very sad. And the last time I said what I'm about to say, a woman in the room burst out crying so badly that we literally almost called an ambulance because she was... Well, I found out later exactly what went on. It was just horrific, but like beyond. Like if I told you what happened to this poor girl, your skin would crawl. But um, it, but it's um, it's it's it is a bit of what I'm just sharing just now is a bit of a sign of how desperate someone can get to pretend someone loves her when she knows deep down that you know. In a big way, uh, by the way, the acid test to find out if, if this is really going on, if she's actually about to be another victim of some man, is a woman would normally never do this, but, but I say do it, is ask him, how many girls have you done this to? In those words. How many women have you done this to? Now, he may lie, but you got to be re- you got to watch, watch his eyes while he says it. You know, but watch his face when he's shocked from the question. See if it shocks him. And you'll slowly realize that you're, you're potentially going to be on a long list of victims. And let's stop pretending we're loved and actually build ourselves internally rather than, rather than having some band-aid of a guy, you know, who's just going to ruin us uh, in, in the interaction that's going to leave us very much shortchanged and in a categorically worse position. Now, the... Anyway, but that's private. I hope you enjoyed that one. <laughs> Sorry. You know, we just speak the truth around here. So the, the, the next is the other P. Um, the, the girl's going to really hate me for this one, for the other P, but the guys are going to hate me for the next one. So don't worry, we're going to get the guys after. The P is, uh, oops, we're going in green. Merry Christmas. It's <laughs> platonic. So the next wall of the vessel is platonic, and the word platonic means we're just friends. We're just friends. So platonic relationships of just being friends is, um, is one of the walls of the vessel to find your soulmate because, because you have to have a need. Like, God's great at filling needs, but if you don't have a need because you have all these platonic relationships, there's no need to fill. And so we're trying to expedite things, and Hashem, who knows your soulmate, would love to send it, but you got to need it. And with platonic relationships, so it's harder to send because you don't need it so badly, is you've got yourself all worked out with other people. So what happens is platonic relationships means just friends. Um, I'll just let you ladies know, you can stop fooling yourselves. Men don't have platonic relationships. Okay? There's no such a thing. And uh, women, on the other hand, who are relationship people by nature, do have platonic relationships. Uh, men don't have those so much, except for perhaps with other men, or you know, someone who's just completely out of their league, like their aunt Ethel, now, <laughs> or their sister, or their. Co- I don't want to talk about cousins because cousins are kosher for marriage. So, so we're not going to discuss cousins. They're not very good genetically, but they are. They don't hit the list of forbidden relationships in the Torah. Now, not fabulous for genes. Um, anyway, the, the platonic thing is, is basically what happens is like this. In the old days, a girl would never, ever have a platonic relation with a man. She was married by the time she was 14, 15, 16. When would she ever have time for such a thing? She's a girl. By the time she becomes a woman, she's engaged. Now she's married. And then platonic relationships are certainly not okay at that point. 
Then, uh, so where are platonic relationships from? They're from the era of when parents stop marrying their kids off. Once parents stop marrying their kids off, well, women are multi-spectral relationship people, gentlemen. They have a they have a wide spectrum of relationship. And you got you as a man. There's a spot right there for you. You as a man, right there. You as a man have to hit as many of those spec spectrums. Nice. I like this lady. She's just so helpful. That you you have to hit as much as that spectra as possible. And by the way, she's gonna get her spectra fulfilled. Okay. Now, she'll get it fulfilled with, I don't know what, whether it be uh, shopping or friends or extreme sports. I don't know what she's going to do. Yoga class. You know, uh, she'll be doing stuff. Women do stuff and they have to because men can't meet the spectra. But our job as men is to meet as much as the spectra as possible. And they'll make up for it with their friends and with other activities. Men have a very small and limited spectrum of relationship. We are much more... Uh, two-dimensional and uh, women are multi-dimensional in relationships and by the way gentlemen it makes your marriage very rich because you're going to spend your life striving to meet those meet those needs and it's smart to meet those needs because otherwise you know you're going to have a frustrated wife and she's going to get it met otherwise and uh, and so better you should meet the needs than than you know other things including your credit card now, the, by the way, I'm speaking very traditionally right now. There's plenty of women who are earning just as much money as the men. You understand I'm speaking very, like, traditionally of the male or female. I'm just doing that. I don't know why I'm doing that. I've probably been watching too many Jordan Peterson videos or something. But, the, uh, but obviously there's plenty of families where the woman even has a higher income than the husband so. I, I, I apologize if I'm speaking too traditionally. Um, I, I do it normally, but not as much as right now. Um, okay, so platonic is, what happens is she has herself tapped out because now that women aren't getting married off, all those needs for relationship are often met by men. Now, I'm going to go a little hardcore here, and that is that feminism has this little small kind of symptom to it. There's a symptom to feminism, and that's the dislike of women. Because originally, the very original thing is we want to be like men. It's not like that as much anymore, but it was we want to be like men. That was women's liberation in the 1950s. We want to be like them. We want to be like a man. And so that means they that men are where it's at. I mean, just listen to the statement. The old feminism was we want to be like men. Well, where is it at? Women are men. Where is it at? Men. You'll notice even today in 2018, if you bring totally secular birth riders and you offer them to go to Neve and hear women speak or go to Asia Torah and hear men speak, 90% of them will come to Asia Torah and hear men speak. And we have, we have it all the time where, where we can't even shake the women out of our program. Like we just want to shake the, the, no offense to you ladies who keep coming, but we're trying to shake you back to women's programs, like start learning to respect women and be part of this incredible tradition from like Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah, you know, Miriam, you know, like, like go dance with Miriam and pull out your tambourines, you know. And, uh, and so, my, but I'll tell you, like one woman who's like today's a big rabbitson in Jerusalem, she said, she came in secular originally. Uh, she had gotten, she had become observant uh, while she came to Tel Aviv University. And, you know, a pretty hardcore feminist lady. And she told me, today she's like a real Hasidic lady. You know? And she said that it took her 10 years to finally respect women. I mean, it took her 10 years to get off the mechitza at weddings, staring at the men dancing. Like, after 10 years, she finally, like, like got her fingers off that center divider at the, you know, the center divider at the highway. So we have center dividers at our weddings. So she got her fingers off the center divider and just started celebrating femininity in an uh, in a enraptured Hasidic dance with the women and never came back to that mechitza to watch the men. So you see, though, even very observant women will prefer to watch the men rather than have their own experience with the women. 
So whatever, there's a whole subject. But platonic relationships are much better with men since feminism, which never used to be. Women used to be with their washboards by the river talking and getting to know each other and talking and getting deep and intense and over there all together with the women. And that whole thing is long gone. Men are where it's at. And females don't particularly celebrate females, which is, by the way, this, this is one of the secrets, not the secret, this is one of the, what's the right word again for, that, that exposes feminism? This is one of the, something that exposes feminism. What's a good word? Flaws? Flaws, maybe. Uh, but whatever, it's an exposure. Uh, that there's a, there's, a, there's a dislike of females amongst them. Now, um, obviously, that's not every one of them. I'm speaking very general. There's plenty of feminists who are celebrating femininity in weren't gay. Meaning, it's rare. It's rare. But there are some. There are some. And anyway, so ladies, get off the platonic relationship. So here's basically the idea. Get your main platonic relationships. Call them and tell them you're sorry. You can cry. Tell them, you know, you're the best. I love you so much, but it's over. I got to get married. Like, I've got myself tapped out with all these relationships. And I call this one when, I'm, when I get hired. I call this one when I get fired. I go, you know, like, she, like, I call this one when it's, you know, Shabbos. I call this one when it's, when it's a party. Like, you got yourself so tapped out that it's impossible to marry you off. So, so get rid of all those men in your life. And you'll be married very, very quickly after. My, my estimation is that a woman gets engaged within six to eight months of, of stopping to have relationships with men. That's a strong, probably of all the tricks of these six walls of the cup, of the wedding uh, cup, is uh, probably of all six, this is probably the most important one, is to swear off relationships. So then you create the need, and once you got that need, God loves filling needs. He's crazy about filling needs. He's, God is the, the, God's the one who created a world that hates vacuums. And so create the vacuum and let God fill the vacuum with a wonderful groom. Okay, and here we're going to get the guys. Expectations. Okay, so gentlemen, uh, this is also the ladies. It's bold, but the men are the ones with the crazy expectations because they've, they've been doing a little loose clicking on the internet and their version of a woman is, you know... Not exactly, you know, like soulmate material here, you know. So a couple of things I suggest to the guys. One of the things is to look into a mirror long and hard and say to yourself, you know, just stare at your face in the mirror and say, who's supposed to marry this mug? Yeah. You know, it's, and you may be tremendously handsome and you are supposed to marry some model, you know, that you've been watching a little too much of. Um, but, you know, there's, then there's Jewish women. Jewish women who are, their beauty is not only without, it's also within. And, and there's no more beautiful thing than a beautiful woman from within. I once was in L.A. a couple years ago and I saw the most ugly, gorgeous woman I've ever seen. The most ugly, gorgeous woman. Why? Because you could see she was once the dream of every guy in high school once upon a time. She had all the features. But if you looked at her face in her 40s, she had been absolutely ravaged, absolutely ravaged by her life. And there's, there, she, she was ugly, but really ugly, like 100% objectively ugly. But if you looked at her, you could see she was the best-looking girl. She was the queen of the prom. She was every guy's dream. And she lived that life, and it was really big and flashy and exciting. And now she's just been put out to pasture and she's only 40 and you know it was pretty hard to see it was very sad to see you know you've heard of the ancient people who went against the rabbinic tradition the Sadducees so this was Sadducee now okay so expectations is is uh, a couple a couple things so look in the mirror who's supposed to marry that mug and uh the other thing is for, for the men is, and, and the women is stop watching. Stop uh, staring at women, especially when no one's looking. Okay, stop staring at women. 
Don't uh, don't stare at them in, in action-packed movies and stuff. You know, just avert your eyes at that point of a film or something. Good luck. And uh, and certainly not when they're not wearing clothing. And, you know, that's someone's daughter. That's Some guy's losing sleep, and you're going to have a daughter one day, and you want her to be good. So, you know, why don't you pay it forward by not staring at someone else's daughter? And so maybe maybe your daughter will be protected because her father honored the daughters of his of the world. So... Whatever, it's just a basic respect of humanity is to not turn someone into a piece of meat who's uh, an actual human being. And, and, to f- and your heart should go out to the poor thing or poor things, you know, all these incredible souls that got f- tricked into, you know, selling themselves into the only thin membrane of humanity, which is skin. You know, it's the thinnest membrane of your, of your body. And it's not, it's not, and it has nothing to do with you, really. You know, it's just a vehicle to get you around. And sadly, some people have turned into their vehicle itself. Reminds me of a. We were really into the car culture in LA. I grew up in LA, so everything was cars, 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 cars. You know, nobody walks in LA. You know, when you visit your neighbor, you get in your car, you go in reverse for fifty feet. You know, go visit your neighbor and come back, and you put in drive for fifty feet. You know? So I remember going around a turn. We were we were racers. I raced for seven years, street racing. We came around a turn once on the bank curves of Beverly Hills, and, and we found an, a full-on, like, custom-made series Porsche in, like, 100 pieces strewn across the highway. We had to, like, slam our brakes. We were, like, obstacle course just slowing down to not crash ourselves. And, and then, uh, but I remember one of my friends looked out the window and said, that poor Porsche, meaning, what about the people who got rushed off to the hospital or died, who knows? Didn't look like they were going to survive that one. But the guy said, that poor Porsche. So that's kind of the, the, the woman who's let go of her sense of self. To Self obviously means consciousness. One's self is your consciousness. So someone's let go of their consciousness for their body. And so us men have to show that respect. But the other thing is, um, is to write a long list of everything you want in a spouse. And this is for guys and girls. Everyone should write a long list. You should get to about 100 items. Of all the things you want your spouse to be and all the things you want your spouse not to be, write a real long list of that and then take it to a well-ventilated area and burn it. you got to get off Santa's lap here, okay, they, with your little wish list. They, you know what that list is? You want to know what your list is for, for a spouse? You know what it is? It's a comfort list. I mean, ladies, I hate to say this. You're gonna, you're, this one's not just going to sound bad. It is bad. Every man, when you ask him, his number one, and these aren't just regular men. These are men who are, I would consider, higher echelon men, men who have accomplished a lot. So I have spoken to a lot of these accomplished men. The reason I say they've accomplished a lot because they've been sitting and learning Torah for several years, and I consider that of the greatest accomplishments. And I always ask them, what's your number one criteria. What are you looking for in a spouse more than anything else? You want to know what they say? You're going to want to throw up. You're going to want to punch every guy in this room when you hear what they say. You want to hear what they, let's hear what the women think they say. <laughs> Obviously, they're not going to say looks. They're not going to say looks because they're talking to me. And they're like, they, they're going to try to look good. You know, they want to look good a little. If they say looks, they're going to look terrible. So, by the way, you think looks is up there? It's up there, for sure. But you know what the number one thing they say at least? Ready for this? Two words, with a hyphen, maybe. Okay, okay. I'll start spelling it. Let's see who gets it first. Ready? I'm gonna put on your thinking caps. L, O, W. That's the first word. Low maintenance. She got it. Low maintenance. Low maintenance. They all ask for low maintenance. Every guy wants low maintenance. Tell me, have you ever met a woman who's low maintenance? I mean, besides an Asian massage therapist. <laughs> Which, by the way, Ashkenazic Jews in America, did I say Ashkenazic Jews? Sorry. Uh, reformed ma- males in America prefer to marry them. And I asked one once, I was like, what are you doing, man? She ain't no member of the tribe. You know, what do you do, massage? Is this your massage therapist? And he says, it is actually. I said, well, why are you marrying your massage therapist? You're Jewish. You know, he says, you think I'm going to put up with that? I'm like, well, what? He says, I had a mom. I had sisters. Ain't nobody got time for that. My wife appreciates it when I come home. 
whenever I come home. She's just happy I returned. These guys are surgically reinstalling their foreskins while women are becoming clergy because the men are so busy dropping Judaism that the women have to actually become rabbis and cantors and Torah readers. And, and it's like, I mean, oh, is it time for discovery? They're on break already? They started their break? I'm saying they don't really have a break. No, but did the guy finish? Yeah. On my way. I gotta go. What's the end? What's the end? That's it, man. What's the end? <laughs> Just kidding. What's the end? <laughs> We're done. Okay, so anyway, anyway, that part is get off Santa's lap, and in principle, in principle, is uh, in principle is you are allowed deal breakers. You're allowed up to three deal breakers. Like, let's say you're Persian. If you're Persian, you should marry a Persian, okay? You, you, you can't do that to your family, okay? And number two is, and now there are families that don't care, but most do. Um, and I like to say, you got a PhD, you can't marry a high school dropout with a skateboard, okay? So those, you, can, you can have deal breakers. And the last one is you. You. Speaking of which, I'm running a seminar for women, possibly you and Elul in a few months. First time for women in almost half a year. Um, but listen, you, the last one's you, and that is that develop yourself. A woman actually asked me for a bracha to get married today while I was on my way to the class. You know what I said to her? I said, you know what my, her blessing was? I bless you to do so much work on yourself that you've made your singlehood totally obsolete and your next level of growth will only be while you're married. Meaning, you're, as a single person, there's nothing left to do. You, your next growth will only be coming from marriage and child-rearing. That will be your next level of growth. Get what you is? Meaning the last start of the vest, part of the vessel is every one of us. And we started this class this way. You weren't watching yet because I hadn't gone live. But the beginning of the class was that we're all nuts. And, and, and you guys are extra nuts because you think you're not. And I'm extra sane because I know I am. And so once you know you're nuts and you get to work on yourself, and that's why I run personal growth seminars to really figure out exactly how nuts we are, and that's how I know I'm totally nuts. So you're nuts, and you got to work on yourself because when someone marries you, they're jumping in your pool. Well, when you throw a swimming party, you know, I suggest checking out nothing weird's floating in the pool before everyone comes over. You know, but you got all kinds of foreign objects in your pool. And, and, the, um, and so... Get yourself together so that you've got what to offer in marriage, and then God's going to send it right away. Right away. Can you please write? Can someone fill this out for me, please? Uh, Rabbi, uh, me, Rabbi, me. Um, looks like it was last week. Okay, never mind. Tell me, my phone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.